Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about operationalizing your data pipelines. Sarah, welcome. Hey, Darren, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, we're finally finishing up this series. It's been a great series talking to you about the data-centric organization. We've had a lot of great debates, you and I, trying to figure things out. Um, now we're going to talk about something that's more in my wheelhouse, operationalizing things, right? This is where IT gets to step up and do something fun, right? It definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> you get into the messy part. Of yeah, this. I mean, yeah, that's we, a good we, way to put it. <laughs> we talked about the data part, which is messy. Now we're, let's talk about the actual implementation and operationalizing it and, and well, talk about and, how messy this can be. Yeah, the whole key to this, from my perspective, is how do we turn it from a science experiment from happening once to turning the crank? So now, hey, I, I've got this. I can, I can um, do more models faster, or I can take a model I've already used and turn it every single day to get more information out of it. That's where we right. want to get to, right? Right. We definitely want to do that. All right, so let's talk about operationalizing and let's go back to kind of the first um, podcast that we did. We talked about kind of comparing an analytic system to an electrical system. And just to kind of recap on this, we think about an electrical system, as long as you have the, the power source, um, a way for the electrons in the, uh, to move around and the light bulb, you basically can set that up you know, walk away six months later and be able to flick the lit, um, the the light on, and know that it's going to work. Um, it's a it's an enclosed system. With an analytic system, you don't have that luxury. You don't know that you're going to be able to turn on the lights. Um, you know, flip a switch and be able to have the lights working. Um, you know, six months down the line, it, even, you know, maybe the next day, um, because essentially you have to think about it. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in your data pipeline of taking your data and, and, and being able to feed it through your system, to, you know, so that you can get some insights and that's the light. Um, some of the things that can happen are kind of, you know, your data can change, the data quality, something degrades in there. Um, and these are all the things that have to be thought of when you're, you know, planning out your deployment. What can go wrong in the system and what checks can you put in just to be able to say, ooh, I got a short circuit. How do I correct this? This sounds very much like what we talk about in computer science about defensive programming. You can't be guaranteed that the input is always going to be good input. Right. right. Um, you have to you have to write your code or you. So same thing with data. It sounds like there's a lot of variability in in data that could be coming in. So you have to be able to have your data pipeline set up to handle um, any variation in data that you might get. Right. Right. Precisely. And you're actually hearing a lot of different scenarios just within this whole COVID, you know, from 
you know, Feb going from February where everything was kind of the norm, going into, you know, end of March, you see a lot of these systems starting to break down um, because the dynamics of, of the patterns that, um, that were considered norm changed because of what oh, was happening with COVID. So, um, you know, not that you would ever be able to predict that COVID was coming around. <laughs> um, you know, there's always the black swan type events that you'll never be able to have. But I mean, it's something that you should, you know, be thinking about in here, like what could happen? It could be a very low probability um, that could happen that could break this. And, and how do we, how do we, um, you know, be able to flag that before, you know, you get like, really bizarre results. So, so it's important to be able to at least detect them, right? You want to be able to detect it. Detect some abnormalities to... in, in, your, in, in your results or whatever, right? Because you can't, like you just said, you can't plan for everything, but you need to be able to at least detect when something has happened that is outside the bounds of your original um, analytics, right? Right. That's, gotcha. that's correct. Right. So just think about, you know, at our, our example where we were saying, how many widgets do we need to produce? You know, we had the customer demand, we had the supply, um, you know, the current supply, and then also yield loss. You know, how stable are those over time? And what could possibly, you know, just, you know, the customer um, demand right there, um, what could happen? You know, could there be something where there's a PR um, type event that basically either, you know, exploded the demand or, you know, degraded the de demand? You know, how something like that could, you know, have a big impact on your models um, that, you know, you wanna be able to, hey, when is, the, you know, is this starting to, is, are these trends starting to, look different from what we've had before. Because one of the things you have to realize is all what machine learning and deep learning are is looking at patterns that we've seen before. If the machine, if these models or machine learning models um, have never seen those patterns before, they're never going to work. It's go they're going to start failing or degrading. And you're going to need to go and figure out, okay, what happened? Why is this happening? What patterns, you know, are we now seeing that we haven't seen before? So you always have to be on that, on that edge of discovery you know, of, of discovery. Yeah. So th this is an interesting point because I can only be on that edge of discovery all the time if I have my data pipelines automated. Because you don't, right? You've got to be able to run them periodically and and automatically right without having to go oh i think there might be a change now i've got to go on hand do things that just takes too long right you're going to miss um the events right that that are right. changing yes yes so you want to and that's the the competitive advantage of of you know having having data analytics or machine learning or deep learning um, capabilities is you want to be able to you know with a snap of a, a button be able to be able to pull the, you know the most current data and seeing how how that data is giving you some kind of insights are you seeing the same patterns or are you not seeing the same patterns 
Are they predicting, what are, what is it um, predicting? Um, the more that you can do that and be able to answer, you know, the questions you want, the, the better you're going to have. So it's really important that you are able to streamline that. The, the fewer humans in that loop will, uh, will enable you to um, move through those, through that and get that information much quicker. So we, we talked a, a lot about the insight, the analytics and all that stuff. So I love how we're talking about the automation side of things. This is where your IT team really needs to sit down with your data team and talk about what can be automated, what should be automated, and not just on the data that's coming in, but also managing any changes to the model that the data scientists want to make so that it can be easily integrated back into the workflows that are going on. And you kind of broke this down into like two different types of controls. Right. right. So I call them the deployment um, short circuits. And there's two categories on that. There's the analytic system controls. So the systems that you're going to automatically, you know, you're going to build in uh, through your DevOps. All right. And then the other part of it is, is really an, is organizational controls. So this is kind of more the people part of it. Um, uh, a part of it. So I'll, I'll talk about um, both um, parts on here. The analytic um, system controls are really about, you know, how can you package up, you know, the models um, that you've trained and then put them in and, and so that essentially you're able to answer the questions you want um, easily. So you're taking a model and actually putting it in and feeding data through it um, as needed. Uh, but there's also some other things too that, that have to go around um, this deployed model, which is also monitoring. And you're looking at how to check for accuracy of that data. Have any of the environmental changes occurred? Is, it, you know, is the quality of the data change for some reason? Maybe you know you just hooked up a new machine that hasn't been calibrated um, properly. So now that's gonna, you know, potentially be giving you, um, you know, a wrong information, um, and the model can't handle that. Maybe just something happened in the distribution of that data as well. So maybe as you're making widgets, some raw material came through that has a little bit of. It might be within you know, like specification, but the model can sense that, you know, there's been a change in, in this raw material that it, it could cause, um, you know, some changes with, within that, with, within the, that, what the yield pr um, prediction is, or maybe it won't, you know, predict that it, there's going to be a yield problem. Um, it depends on how sensitive your, your model is. So th this, this really sounds a lot like what we run into in the software development world, where changes can adversely affect or things that we didn't predict happen. So we, we actually come up with regression tests and, right. and golden data that we use over and over again to make sure that our models or our applications are working under, under the um, uh, guidelines that we established, right? So it right. sounds like you need the same thing for your data 
analytics as well. You need to have test suites. You need to have, so that sounds very sim similar. Yes. Yes, definitely. All that stuff. Um, and that's all the stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad, you know, to hear that that capabilities within, you know, the IT department, because this is the stuff that were really like when when I was working in this area, I was like, oh, my my head would explode because what are all these things and, and so forth. Well, the good um, thing is, is you could take advantage of your IT organization. They do this every day. Right. right. So this this is this goes back to our, our great conversation when we first started. IT is a black box. There's like one guy that works in there, right? And I'm like, well, right. data scientists, it's just one person playing around with numbers. So what, you know? <laughs> but now we're, we've learned, right? Um, we need each other to, to really, you need IT's help to operationalize all the great work that you're doing, monitoring, um, automated test suite running, all, all, all those analytic system controls that, that you talk about. Believe it or not, there's a whole slew of tools out there that uh, we can use already yeah. uh, in the IT toolbox. So that's good news. Yeah, it is. It, it, you're really not, you know, needing to invent any new process. It's existing. You just have to figure out how to blend the processes together so that, you know, it, it becomes something working. You know, getting the two groups together, the d DevOps and the data scientists together so that they're setting themselves up for success. Sounds like data DevOps needs to be created. Right, right. There you definitely. go. All right, let's talk about the organizational because I think I can handle the analytics controls. My team's going to step up and help you out, right, right, from the IT side. What about the organizational controls? So organizational controls is really around trust. And if you can remember back when I talked about the organization foundation and making sure that, you know, you're bringing in a diverse team of people, um, you know, your subject matter experts, your, your management or your line of business, you want them to, I talked about having them in um, part of the process at the beginning. And a lot of that is just on the trust. They need to be able to trust that you have the right data that, you know, they understand kind of how um, these models were created, what, what the, what they can do and what they can't do with this data. All right. Um, so, you know, when you go into deployment, you have to also make sure that, you know, they continue to trust um, and they feel empowered um, to provide, um, provide feedback um, of whatever they're seeing because they essentially need to be able to own this as much as the data scientists are and the DevOps um, people because if they don't trust it. This just becomes an academic exercise and, you know, all this work is just going to just, you know, not be, be utilized. So, so this, this comes back into our, our business process thing where you have that feedback loop. That's what you're talking about, right? Where uh, the, the users of the data are giving feedback in and, and providing maybe different parameters to the model and all that. You need to build that process in, it sounds like. You can't just throw it over the wall. Here's your data. 
Precisely, precisely. Okay. And there's a, there's a, you know, you know, and these are the subject matter experts too. So if they understand kind of the data that's going in and, you know, and so forth, they can also be the ones that say, Hey, there's a dynamic going on in, in the markets or, you know, with our customers or, you know, whatever, like be cognizant of it. Oh, maybe we need to be monitoring it so they can help, you know, provide um, checks on the monitoring, um, give, you know, it's really about giving feedback of what could be changing, how are they using it, and, you know, what could, what could be, you know, improved. And again, this is something that isn't, you know, you're going to take this model and, and implement it, and then it'll, it'll be there for the next, you know, 10 years. It, these things need to be iterated on and improved. So, you know, from an, so it's really important to one, be able to get that trust, get the alignment and, and have this, these feedback loops um, on here. The other aspect too is you also want to have, um, create a way where they can easily um, consume the information, you know? So if the model says, hey, you know, we're going to have this many, we need to make this many widgets. Um, and they want to understand kind of like, hey, why is it so high or why is it so low? You want them to be able to, you know, have a dashboard that kind of tells them that information, but also be able to dig down into why something looks a little bit off. Um, so so it know, can't just be a red light, green light thing. Oh, everything's right. green. You need to be able to drill down and find out why you're on target or off target, right? So that's what you're talking about with the dashboard. Right. And, and you don't really want the consumers of the data calling the data scientist anytime anything goes red, right? Right. You want, you basically want to empower them with the information that they have. And then the more that they can dig into this, you know, it also feeds into the uh, feedback loop. Hey, look, you know, we, we see this, this information here doesn't seem to be reflective of what we think is really happening. Can we go investigate this? And, you know, the more that they can investigate or bring up um, what needs to be investigated, the more empowered your, your organization is going to be. All right, let, let's talk a little bit about that, my side. Okay. I'm going to be selfish now, right? So <laughs> yes, you I'm gave me all these requirements, Sarah, all tons of requirements on, hey, we need, we need continuous integration. We need monitoring. I need to be able to test and things like that. I think one of the key things that is going to help with operationalizing from uh, your data pipelines and things, use version control. Use yes. GitHub. It's a great tool or GitLab, whatever you want to do but use a version control system. That's probably the number one thing I would suggest because I've already seen way too many people go out there and, oh, I made a change to my model. Can you grab my file from last week from my laptop? And yeah, it's a mess, right? The, the other thing too is there's one thing of having the model, but you also want to be storing the data yeah, that you all, that created the, that model too, because if for some reason, you know, you can have the model, but if you don't have the data to understand kind of, how, you know, what the patterns are, maybe, hey, I never thought that there's this, this feature in here that is really important. How did that impact, you know, how would that change the model? 
um, it's really important to have that for, for audit purposes. Well, that's a very good point. And believe it or not, you can store really large files into Git, um, really, really large files into Git without a problem. I made the mistake personally. I just stored links into Git on where the files were. Yeah, and guess what? The files moved. <laughs> now they're not there anymore. Can imagine and, uh, that ever happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it happens all the time, right? <laughs> so I, I love checking everything in together. And there's some great techniques out there uh, to do that. You can even uh, do this with containers and things like that. Um, you know, go out and take a look out there. Um, even on our podcast, we talk a little bit about dev services. Take the same concepts with dev and work with dev uh, data data DevOps, right? I think that that will be a large benefit. The other thing I can offer you is continuous integration and deployment. So using a tool like Jenkins or even GitHub Actions and things like that. So when you work on a model and you check it in, it automatically kicks off running your test against uh, your, your model with your data in a test environment. Um, and you can even generate gobs of garbage data on the fly too. We can offer that to your data scientists as well. So I think yeah, that's you know, a good and one. Yeah, you know, and that's a, another good point too. You know, if you have this historical data um, you can also plug it into your new models too to say, okay, how well does, you know, my really ancient data, um, you know, um, impact my current data, um, you know, because you really don't know if something's going to go back to what it might look like at one point, even though That's things have point. changed. So, yeah, because you don't want to abandon your legacy data, right? Right. Right. Because if you do, then your models are only as good as how old your data is, right? Right. Um, which today would be, I think it'd be really fascinating. Looking at data today in post-COVID, or we're not even post-COVID, we're in COVID, right? COVID, yeah. Um, I think the data is going to be very different now than it was a year ago and what it will be a year from now. Um, yeah. But I think it's all valuable data. But if I based all my models just off of what's going on this month, we're gonna have a very skewed picture of the world. Oh, everyone works from home, right? And you know, crazy things like that. In fact, a, a great case in point on this is um, in the uh, Department of Navy, they just had uh, uh, a finding from their data that since COVID, 95% of their IT workers are working from home, remote work, right? Productivity has gone up 35%. One data point. From that one data point, I, I would say everyone's going to work from home from now on. And will I continue to get a 35% increase? Or if people come back to the office, am I going to see a 35% decrease? So one data point, although it's a, a great soundbite, is not necessarily sufficient. So keeping right. that data around is going to be important. That is important. And, you know, I always use this as an example. If you think about the 2008-2009 economic, the Great Recession, you know, nobody ever really anticipated that the housing market would crash so much. Because pretty much, yeah, it, it never went down that much. 
but there were other dynamic, you know, all the economic models never really had saw such a, a decline, but because of the whole, um, you know, the bad loans and, and so forth that were all packaged, um, you started seeing things crumble that you never saw again, never saw before. So, you know, there are things that could be completely stable or have a little bit of fluctuation, but soon as they start, you know, fluctuating a, a bit or really degrading, it can just totally blow your 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 models, models apart. So, so these are other things to think about. So even stuff that that seems stable and you've never looked at, or you know, basically throughout, because eh, that's that's stable, that's not a problem. You know, you want to make sure that there's some kind of of um, confidence band around it that if if it goes outside that then you know you want to be flagged about that so that's where monitoring that's another thing i can bring to you is monitoring right. um i can actually monitor the output of your models for you automatically and also i want to also want to monitor how your models are performing in the infrastructure right um because i i know this already because i've seen this before sometimes your models run really fast and sometimes they take days to run and you're like, now why is that? Well, maybe we hit an edge condition in your data that made your model spin out of control. And we can, we can alert you from the IT department, right? With our automated uh, continuous integration deployment, we can alert you when something's taking longer than outside of the norm and notify you. And then now you can actually stop something from spiraling out of control because you already know the data the data is outside of the bounds or whatever it is so there's some other great things that it can bring to the table to help your, your data scientists right so so you really do need sounds like you need to sit down you know with your it people and your data scientists and go okay here are all the variables or features that we're looking at and then trying to figure out okay how do we monitor or each one of those, you know, at what point, you know, should we have a flag? And some of this can be subject, you know, subjective. And some of this could just be based on what you've seen in historically. Right. Well, and ideally, I should just give you the tools that enable you to do that easily. Right. Right. I mean, I want it to be as self-service as possible because I don't want the data scientists come into my org. I would, there's a new area we want you to monitor. I should make that easy for you to say, hey, if this data goes outside these bounds, throw me a flag. I think that would be far better. That's why you really need an IT organization that's invested in the, in the whole data value creation, uh, which, uh, which I think we've been missing in the industry as a whole. Right. And then the other aspect too that we could also think about is, you know, um, designs of experiments too, because some, you know, oh, interactions among among variables or features are really important too. So you might have something that's stable, but you bring in something else, and then it either can go up or it can go down um, based on kind of what level of this other. Um, so the way that you kind of, you know, you have to think about this, and this is where the subject matter experts can come in. Um, and and if you know kind of what these these potential interactions are um, or if you don't you can do a design of experiment to kind of you know kind of be able to model that um, and that helps kind of um, understand kind of what variability is expected and what could also be causing some of the variability because 
they, these could be interactions among variables. So what yeah. you're saying here is you need the ability to have several permutations of the same model being able to, to compare and contrast. That's another great thing that I can, that, you know, IT can offer, right? If we can give you the ability to spin up and spin down these models quickly and automatically, then that would help quite a bit or to give or possibly give you 10 different versions of the same model with different parameters run in it to test your design of experiments, right? Actually, as a data scientist, I can build all that into the model so that it's one part of the model and so forth. So, you, so instead of having multiple models, you can have, it's basically um, features within the models or you know, parameters within a model so I can- See, I'm learning something new every that. day. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Sarah, this has been wonderful. It's been what, six, did we do five or six podcasts uh, together about, uh, this has been, it's opened my eyes to data science and, and all, all the things that you guys need. Um, I truly think IT can help you out. Yeah, and I'm really excited about, you know, you know, talking about what data scientists can do for the organization. So let's, you know, what can we, how can we take this raw material that people are just having sitting around and so forth and turn it into insights, you know, it, it takes a team and, and as you, you know, as we've been talking about, you know, the more we can talk about this and how to make this materialize, you know, in a team environment, the more that we can learn from each other and do great things. I agree. This has been great. So. Thanks again, Sarah. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.